Oh, it is good to see you guys. So, so good to see you all. Um, who was here at First Wednesday last week? Yeah, it was so good. So good having you guys there worshiping together. Um, I was talking to some of the team today and we were talking about First Wednesday and they said by far the best part of the night was when we started playing I Am Free and y'all just rushed the stage. That was freaking awesome. That was freaking awesome. We got to do that every time. All right. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Victor. I'm one of the pastors here at Student Ministries. I have the privilege of leading worship here. I've been here for four years now, and it's been four of the best years of my life because I love you guys, and I love what God is doing here. Um, So I'm so excited to get the opportunity, the rare opportunity to speak to you, to open the scriptures to you. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Exodus 16. We're going to go to Exodus 16. If you haven't been here in a few weeks or you just straight up forgot where we've been at, we've been in a series in the book of Exodus. Let me catch you up really quick. Um, here's, Here's kind of the synopsis of Exodus. The people of God, the people of Israel are in a place called Egypt and they find themselves enslaved for hundreds of years by the Egyptians and these people were God's people and, and they were disoriented of why are we in slavery when we're God's chosen people? Freedom is our inheritance, not slavery. So they begin to cry out to God, God, would you deliver us? Would you, would you send someone to deliver us? And God is faithful to hear the cries of his people. He sends a man named, he sends a man named, he sends a man named, Okay, that's the volume we'll stay at tonight. Moses comes and and, and he declares to Pharaoh what? He declares to Pharaoh what? Let my people go. Pharaoh is resisting. God sends how many plagues? (laughs) Nope. How many many plagues does he send? He sends 10 plagues. There's like locusts everywhere. There's flies. The water's turning into blood. Like it is a mess up in Egypt. And then God sends one more plague where the firstborn of the Egyptians are killed, but those who put the blood of the lamb over the door are saved. This is what breaks the will of Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh decides you can go. So the people of God are going. They come up to the what sea? All right, stay with me. They come to what sea? the Red Sea, and they're up against this water, and then Pharaoh and his army come after the Israelites. They're panicking, they're freaking out, but God comes through in a powerful way, and the splee, the, the splees, the seas split in two, just like we were singing about in that first song. God comes through in a miraculous way. They come through. The water crashes down on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and the people of Israel are saved. They've crossed out of Egypt, out of the Red Sea, and now they are headed towards the promised land. So this is where we're gonna pick up. And here's the thing. I think if most of us were honest, I think most of us feel like this is where the story of Exodus ends. Like they just get past the Red Sea. Like all the movies kind of depict like the Red Sea is like the pinnacle moment where it's like God comes through and I guess the Israelites made it to the promised land, right? Like that's kind of how the story would end, but it's actually just the beginning. Or rather God is actually just in the beginning of his process with his people. The Red Sea is actually just the final step of getting them out of Egypt, but on the, it's the first step in a long process of getting them into the promised land. Now, here's why I'm excited about tonight. Because I think it's often easy for us to come into stories like Exodus and be like, this feels more like a history lesson. Or like, this is more like a Bible comprehension moment of like, okay, do you remember what happens in the book of Exodus? But I'm convinced, as I was studying the scriptures this week, as I was praying for you all, I'm convinced 
that actually where the people of God find themselves is actually the exact place that we find ourselves today. Let me kind of explain what I mean. I think throughout the book of Exodus, you kind of get this imagery of slavery and freedom. Everyone say slavery and freedom. And that's in the Old Testament context, in the Exodus content, slavery is, is Egypt and freedom is on the other side of the Red Sea into the promised land. There's kind of this imagery, but it actually mirrors really closely the life of the people of God as a whole. You see, you and I, we were once slaves to sin, but Jesus comes as our great deliverer. God comes through in a powerful way and he splits the sea. He makes the impossible possible by, by, by making a way for our salvation and our freedom. So really, if you think about it, God has delivered us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you believe that Christ came and lived a perfect sinless life and he died on the cross for you and for me, for his people, and if he was raised three days later, if he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, if that's you, if you believe that, then you could say that we have left the life of sin and slavery, but we have yet to reach, to reach the promised land. We have yet to get to our destination in heaven. How many of you know that the earth isn't our home? What, what's around us right here and right now is temporary. So if you think about it, if you think about it in that way, in a, what some theologians call a Christological way, everyone say Christological. If you think about it in a Christological way, our lives here on this earth are actually spent in the in-between. We're not in slavery anymore. Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, yet we're still learning what it means to live and walk in freedom. So here's what I want us to catch tonight. As we jump into the scripture, the story of the people of the, of the Israelites in the wilderness is not just their story, this is our story. Everyone touch your chest and say, this is my story. Now hit the person next to you and say, this is our story. If you're the people of God, this is our story. You see, God brought his people out of Egypt, but God was just beginning the process of getting Egypt out of his people. I'm gonna say that again. God had brought his people out of Egypt by crossing the Red Sea, but the wilderness is just the first step of God getting Egypt out of his people. So that being said, let's open our Bibles. Let's get to Exodus 16. I'm gonna read verses one through three. It's up on the screens. And I'm gonna read my old beat up Bible. This thing is falling, guys, check this, check this. It's like completely falling apart. This is awesome. Um, anyway, so the whole Israelite community, this is verse one, set out from Elam and came into the desert of sin. <laughs> Not like sin, the curse, but like just the place, sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You see, the Israelites have lost all hope at this point. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. With those hopeful words, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, to which all God's people said, let's pray. Jesus, we need you tonight. We need you to speak tonight. We've heard 
a hundred sermons, a thousand sermons in our lives. There is no shortage of content out in the world. If information or just a really good talk could save our lives and change our stories, that would have happened by now. But what we need today and why we've come today is to encounter you and to be formed by you. We've come into this place, God, to know you and to look more like you. And so, God, I pray for my friends today. God, I know that the majority of them are coming into this room tired, stressed, overwhelmed, distracted, a hundred things competing for their attention right now. But God, what I'm just asking is, by your grace and by your spirit, would you not just come, but would you draw us closer tonight? God, I pray that they would hear words that they need to hear tonight, that they would meet with their father in this moment, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Do you guys find it amazing how forgetful we are as a human species? <laughs> like, it is unbelievable. And I know that men are worse than women in memory, but I will say, I'm pretty sure men and women are like just awful at remembering things. Um, I know for me, I am the worst at remembering names. It is like a curse of mine. I, thank you, Sydney. I've, I've literally met the same person four times thinking it was for the first time. Does anyone struggle here like remembering names? Come on now, come on now. Who here so far in the school year has already uh, been under the curse of sin and has forgotten their homework already? Forgotten one homework assignment, your teacher gave you plenty of time, they warned you like five times, but you did nothing about it until it was too late and you forgot about it. It snuck up on you. Okay, do this. I want you to turn to your neighbor. We're gonna keep this in like a minute or less. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them the worst story of when you forgot something really important. Go. Tell them a story of when you forgot something and it was really bad, <laughs> really tough. Okay, okay, wrap it up, 30 seconds. If you haven't let the other person talk, hurry. Let them talk. Be a great listener. All right, 10 seconds. Wrap up your conversation. Okay, I wasn't planning on doing this, but... <laughs> I want you to shout out a few things that the neighbor told you about. <laughs> a calculator at the SAT, that is tough. Tough, that's a whole L. Give me another one. He put metal in the microwave. That's tough. Do what? Oh, Preem, we're not here to talk about me. We're going to talk about the students today. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's always dangerous when your wife's in the audience when you preach. Uh, what's another one? Go ahead, Miley. Forgot to turn in your final? Ooh, okay, one more, Caleb. You forgot a cousin existed? Oh my gosh. 
what are you? <laughs> that is so funny. That is so funny. Okay, this is, this is the ironic thing. This is the ironic thing. By far the most stressful part for me of preaching is like thinking of a story to tell or thinking of something funny because Pastor Tim is so good at it and I'm just like not naturally like a storyteller. So the ironic thing is I was like, okay, Victor, I need you to remember a time that you forgot something. And I couldn't remember a time that I forgot something. <laughs> but I do that all the time and anyone who knows me knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like I know I forget stuff all the time but I just, I can't remember a time that it really cost me. Um, but here's the thing. Have you guys ever noticed how forgetful we are in our walk with God. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe like in yourself, maybe you've noticed it in a friend. Both work. Here's the thing like with our lives with God is we're like constantly up and down with God. What I love, (laughs) this is kind of awesome. I love doing this in student ministries, but I think this is something in in students, I think it's, it's in us as adults. I think we as human beings are just naturally forgetful people. Because I've had conversations with so many of you. Maybe you've come back from a missions trip or you just went to desperation conference or you were at high school or junior high retreat or there was a Wednesday night in a moment or um, you know, J-Lo says something profound or, or Preem calls us into worship beautifully. There's like this moment like where God just like hits you and you're like, oh my gosh, like me and Jesus are doing so good. Like, man, it is deep. Like God loves me. Like I'm gonna go tell the world about who God is. And then it's like a week later, I'm like, hey man, how you doing? And you're like, man, this is awful. I'm in the wilderness. I'm in the desert. God has deserted me. God has never done anything good. I can't think of one good thing God has done for me. Like, but this is like all of us. Like we are all up and down in our walk with Christ. And I know that's me. (laughs) I know that that's my life. I realize that. I look back over the course of my life and I feel like I spent the majority of my first years of following Jesus constantly trying to stay at like a spiritual high kind of like I've experienced a high and I'm like, okay, from Desperation Conference 2015 to Desperation Conference 2016, I've got to stay right here. And if I felt myself dipping, it was like, do whatever you can to like stay at the high. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Does that resonate with anyone? Like the highs and the lows of the Christian walk. We're forgetful. And I think that's just a normal human thing. We see this, we see this with the disciples. Like we can like look through the gospels. We think about the 12 that Jesus called to follow him. These are the same disciples that see Jesus touch a leper and be healed or literally raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, doing insane, crazy things. And they're like, this is the son of God. But then like the next chapter, they're in a boat freaking out because they think they're gonna die. Thinking that Jesus like all of a sudden like got goaded and by the wind and the waves and Jesus was like, oh, I didn't know what to do about this. But we're like that. We're just like the disciples where Jesus will do something extravagant right in front of us And we're like, oh God, you're amazing, you're the best. And then the next week we forget all about it. And this is exactly what we see here in Exodus 16. It's only a few chapters earlier that the people of God literally watched God part the Red Sea. But here we are just a little bit later and they're complaining. They're freaking out. But here's the thing about forgetfulness is I I firmly believe that the enemy uses our forgetfulness to trick us into believing false narratives about God and his intentions. Like, like notice the language that the people of Israel use. So God parts the seas, God saves them in an undeniable way. All of Exodus 15 is actually the first song ever recorded in scripture, not like audibly recorded, but like, like literally recorded, that you can see when God, God's people are singing to the Lord saying, God, you're a mighty warrior and, and you're the one who split the sea. God, you're our deliverer. Like they have all these beautiful, like ascribing moments, describing who God is. That's Exodus 15. 
And then in Exodus 16, notice how the fruit of their lips completely shifts. God, you brought us here to die. God, you've got us out of the Red Sea just to kill us. It would have been better if we were in Egypt. Like the people of God are so distressed at this point that they think slavery is better than freedom. Like that's how forgetful we can be as Christ followers. But the enemy capitalizes on our forgetfulness to make us believe false narratives about God. And here's the thing about forgetfulness. Forgetfulness leads to several things. The first thing, forgetfulness leads us to complaining. I've noticed that in my life, when I forget God's faithfulness in my life, I begin to see everything through a negative lens. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, when you begin to forget how blessed you are, when you begin to forget how faithful God has been to you, it's so easy to start seeing everything through a negative lens. It's almost like we're able to to look past all the things that God has done on our behalf and all we can focus on is the things that we feel like God has disappointed us in. I know I've seen that in my life, maybe you have. Another thing is anxiety. When I forget how faithful God has been to me, how consistent and how kind God has been to me, that's usually the time that I get anxious because I begin to think that my life is in my hands, that I need to make things happen. And I get anxious because, okay, has God abandoned me? When I forget about God's faithfulness, I begin to get anxious. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself really anxious these days. Maybe you find yourself complaining a lot. Maybe you see life through a negative lens right now. The third thing that forgetfulness leads to is mistrust. When I forget God's faithfulness in my life, I start trusting in myself rather than in the Lord. I stop praying. I stop getting in the word. I stop surrounding myself with community. I stop showing up to church maybe, whatever it is for us. But when we feel like we, we begin to forget how faithful God has been, that's usually the time that complaining, anxiety, and mistrust begins to creep into our hearts. And I'll say this really quickly, that is one of the most beautiful things about why we worship together. Because I know and I see it on our faces as we walk into the room. Some of you walk into the room amped, ready to worship, ready to sing. And I know so many of you walk in and it's like, I've, I've got nothing, or I'm, I'm freaking out about something, or my mind is, is in a hundred different places, or I feel like I'm getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. I see that on our faces. And sitting down with so many of you, I know that that's your story. There's a lot of things competing for your worship, a lot of things competing for your trust, a lot of things competing for our attention. But that's the beautiful thing about worship, is it brings us back to remembrance of who God is and what he's done. That's why I can't get over songs of remembrance. That's why we sing songs like, I will remember that you are faithful. Why? Because we're prone to forget. Or we sing songs of, I can't forget you now. All of your wonders, all of your miracles, I won't forget. All you've provided, all of your promises, I won't forget. This is why we worship. This is why we sing, you are the one above it all. I stand in awe, you're the God Overall, because our feelings tell us one thing, but if we rely on our forgetfulness, then we are actually leaning into the devil's evil schemes. But when you and I come together and we begin to worship and we declare things that are more true than how we feel, that's when we leave behind forgetfulness and we call into mind the faithfulness of God. Does that make sense? You guys with me tonight? Okay, so what does God do? 
What does God do with his people? They're, un, they're, they're forgetful, they're being unfaithful, they're complaining to the Lord. Let's see how God responds to his people. Let's go to verses four through six right here. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. So remember, the Israelites are complaining. They're in the wilderness and they feel like God has deserted him because they have no food. They feel like they have no provision. The people, God says, are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Let's skip down to verse 11 real quick. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of all the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. This is, this is the bottom line of what I wanna get to tonight. God has brought his people to the wilderness to show himself to his people. Notice how both times, in I think it's verse six and verse 11, God says, I'm going to do this so that you know I am the Lord. You see, a lot of us find ourselves in a wilderness, in an in-between. Maybe you can remember a time where God freed you from something from a life of sin, from an addiction, from a difficult relationship. You can remember a time where God was faithful to bring you out and you can remember where you had this moment, maybe it was during worship or just alone, you and God, and it felt like a Red Sea moment where it's like, it is undeniable, God is good, God is faithful. But now you find yourself here, weeks into a school year, the stress piling on, the noise and the chaos of life getting louder, the relationships getting more complicated life happening, as you find yourself in the wilderness, here's what God is wanting to do with you in your life. He wants to show himself to you. And here's what I believe. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this and write this down if you need to. The wilderness is not an indication that God has deserted you. The wilderness is an invitation from God to depend on him. I'm gonna say that two more times. Let's see if I can memorize it. The wilderness is not an indication that God has deserted you. The wilderness is an invitation for you to depend on God. Some of you need to hear that one more time. Some of you are angry at God. Some of you are disappointed with God. Some of you have no clue what God is up to in your life. Some of you feel like you're in a wilderness. Hear me tonight, look me in the eyes when I say the wilderness is not an indication that God has left you. The wilderness is an invitation for you to depend on God. God is brilliant in this way. Because he knows, God knows that when, if we're in what we perceive to be the promised land, we'll cease to feel like we need to depend on him. If we feel like life is going perfectly, if we feel like we have all the answers, everything's going as it should be, then you and I naturally, because we are forgetful and weak human beings, we will forget that we need God. 
And notice God's love for his people. He strategically leads them into the wilderness. Why? Because they're not able to provide their own food in the wilderness. They have to depend on him. God strategically leads them into the wilderness to see if they will follow his instructions. And God strategically leads them into the wilderness and gives them specific instructions to gather enough food just for each day and then enough on the sixth day for day six and seven so that they can rest. God is strategic in what he's doing. And can I say to you guys, you guys who are feeling heavy, tired, weak, discouraged, the wilderness you are in is not because God has left you. It's not because God doesn't care about you. It's not because God is trying to play with your emotions. God isn't dangling something over you. The wilderness is an invitation for you to depend on him. It's like what I said in the beginning. God had locationally brought his people out of Egypt. But the wilderness is where he brings Egypt out of his people. So make no mistake, Jesus Christ has come and has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are free sons and daughters because of the cross. But you and I, we are right in the middle of the wilderness where Jesus is taking sin out of us. The slavery that we have gotten so used to out of us. But notice this about how the Israelites talk. They say it it would have been better as they're in the middle of the wilderness, as things get hard, as things get uncertain, as they're beginning to doubt God's hand in it all. They begin to question, they begin to say, it would have been better if we were in Egypt. Like like literally saying, being on the other side of the Red Sea, it would have been better if we were slaves. At least we knew where our next meal was coming from. Like at least it was familiar over there. And here's the reality. I just wanna be able to name this. Slavery brings a sense of satisfaction, but it's false satisfaction. And make no mistake, slavery brings a sense of security, but it's a fake security. As God has brought you into the wilderness and he's teaching you to depend on him, as he is teaching you to release control and to trust him, you're probably in here thinking a little bit like, well, it's kind of easier for me to trust in me because you know what, I can see myself. Like, I, I can see, I, 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 can, I can feel, I can hear myself. Like, I feel more tangible than God. Or maybe you're really dependent on someone else. I, I can see them, I can hear them, I can smell them, I can touch them. Like, they feel more tangible to me. Maybe for some of you who are caught in addiction and God has brought you into the wilderness to bring you out of this destructive habit you're in, you might be saying, but, but this, this thing I'm in, this, this slavery I'm caught in, at least it makes me feel good or it numbs the pain. The reality is, friends, and we see this in Exodus 16, slavery brings a security, but it's a false security and it's a security that won't last. And slavery brings a satisfaction, but it's not a satisfaction that will last. Only the love of the Lord endures forever. Only God will satisfy you forever. And what God is strategically showing his people is that the life of freedom is a life of dependence. God is here to show us tonight that the life of freedom is a life of dependence. I wanna call up the worship team right here.
Notice the intentionality of God. Like I said earlier, he strategically puts them in a place where they have no choice but to trust him. The people of Israel are in a place where if they don't trust in the Lord, they're not gonna eat that day. And we see them even later on in Exodus 16 try to gather their own food and try to make it last for days beyond, weeks beyond, and the food just spoils. God strategically has put them into a place where they have no choice but to trust them, but to trust him. So friends, look at me in the eyes when I say this. I just sense for so many of you, that's where you are tonight. God has strategically and lovingly put you in a place where you have no choice but to trust him. And if you feel tired, if you feel weak, if you feel fragile, I want you to know that's actually a good thing because it's a sign that you have nowhere else to go but God. And the longer you try to hold on, be strong in your own way, the more you will fail the more you'll keep coming back in circles over and over again, falling on your face. And I say that in love. And here's our God statement for today. God is inviting us to trust in him because he is faithful to sustain. God sustains. God sustains. God sustains. You and I, we can't sustain ourselves, but God can sustain us. Everyone just close your eyes for a second. I want that God statement to to kind of marinate within you. I want you even just to say that a couple times over and over. Say, God sustains. God sustains. God sustains. You guys can open your eyes. What we're gonna do tonight is we're just going to take some extended time to learn what it looks like and what it means to simply rest in the presence of the Lord. Learning how to bring our weakness and our dependence and bringing it to God who is faithful to sustain. He was faithful to sustain his people day after day in the wilderness. Like I said, we think the Red Sea ended and that was the end of the Exodus story. But do you guys know, a lot of you knew this already, but on the other side of the Red Sea is 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. I don't think we have like any 20-year-old students in here. That's like more than double all of our lives. And that's how long these Israelites are in the wilderness learning day after day, God sustains. God sustains. God sustains. And my heart is heavy for so many of you because I just, I see it in your eyes. I hear it in our conversations. So many of you are tired. And y'all just, school year just started. (laughs) Like we just got going. Like some of y'all, like homecoming hasn't even happened yet. Like, like we're just getting started and we're already tired. (laughs) Some of you are already at the end of yourself. And can I just say, it's okay to be there. It is okay to name it that you're in a wilderness. 
But can I also tell you that there is hope because the invitation for us tonight is to depend on a God who is faithful to sustain. He was faithful before and he will be faithful to you now. If only you would trust him. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus doesn't invite us into this, but didn't live in himself. One of the craziest stories in the gospels is Jesus in Luke 4. He's just baptized. He just has this moment. It's kind of like a Red Sea moment where a voice from heaven audibly says, this is my son whom I love and in him I am well pleased. It's this epic moment. But you know what happens right after that? Scripture says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. And Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights, just like the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. And one of the most obvious scriptures ever, ever recorded was after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> For my life, it'd be like after fasting 40 minutes, Victor was hungry. <laughs> like Jesus, 40 years, he is literally feeling the fragility of humanity as weak as he could possibly be, as tired as he could possibly be in the wilderness. And this is the moment he is tempted and tested by the devil. But who led him to the wilderness? Was it the enemy? No. Scripture says the spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. The wilderness is not an indication that God has departed from you. The wilderness is an invitation for you to depend on God. So Jesus doesn't just experience this kind of dependence, but he invites us into a life of dependence. And the, the life he invites us to live could be summarized in one word, abiding. Abiding. I'm gonna read John 15 over us in a second, but that's where it comes from. Jesus says, apart from me, apart from abiding in me, you can do nothing. And I think for so many of us, we are tired and we are weak and we are fragile and we're at the end of ourselves, and we're overwhelmed. Yes, because life is busy, but maybe because for a lot of us, we've been trying to do it in our own strength or we've been trying to live our own way. But Jesus is here tonight I don't know for how many of you, I hope it's for a lot of you, but he is inviting us tonight into a life of abiding. And you might be hearing me say that word and you're like, that's a churchy word. I know we have like a song about abiding, but like, I don't like know what that means. Here's what abiding looks like. The heart posture of abiding is saying this, only God can sustain me. That's the heart posture of someone who abides is saying apart from him, I can do nothing. He's the vine, I am the branches. My life, my source is God. Only God can sustain me. And there's three habits that I wanna call us into. If you wanna write these down, feel free. But there are three habits that I sense for us tonight that God is inviting us into. I don't wanna just talk about depending on God more, but we don't have like natural handlebars of how to do that. So if this is you, these are three things I wanna invite you into to start living today. Tomorrow, Friday, this weekend, this, the next week, this next month, 
this next school year, the rest of your life. These three things right here. First habit of abiding is getting in the presence of God. It burdens my heart when I hear us talk about spending time in the presence of God like a chore or like a to-do list. It's something that we just check off or to be a good Christian is to, guys, it's not a chore. It's a lifeline. It's a lifeline. I know it's easy to feel like, man, well, I've got so many books I gotta read and so many papers to write or presentations to do or I've got so many things. I've got work and I've got school and I've got commitments, I've got sports. I, I know, but Jesus says, abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you find yourself tired and if you find yourself overwhelmed, if you find yourself feeling weak or forgetful, if you find yourself in the wilderness, I'm telling you, the way to get through it, the lifeline, is the presence of God. Not that getting in the presence of God will make everything easy. Not because getting in the presence of God means, oh, every time I open the Bible, new revelation just keeps hitting me. No, 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 like, sometimes it's gonna be a lot of just I am praying and it feels like I'm praying to the wall. Or a lot of the times it's gonna feel like, man, I open the scriptures and I feel like I got nothing out of it or nothing felt relevant to me. But friends, abide, abide. Get in the presence of God. If you can do nothing else than just sit in silence and say, Holy Spirit, come. If, if you wanna do that, then what I challenge you to do is, if you don't know where to start, just get in John 15 and read it over and over and over again to the point where you can memorize it, to the point where you could say it. So in your wilderness moments, you can say, abide. I'm gonna abide in Jesus. He is the vine and I am the branches apart from him. I can do nothing. The first habit is get in the presence of God. The second habit is this, follow his instructions. A lot of us want to walk in freedom. We wanna walk, but we wanna do it our own way. But what God is inviting us to do, he's saying, if you love me, he says this in John 15, if you love me, you will obey me. Abiding isn't just like sitting in like the spiritual atmosphere. Abiding in God means that I'm going to follow and walk in a life of obedience. Follow his instructions. And this third one's kind of radical. But if there's anything I've learned about you guys in the last four years is you guys can take radical. <laughs> the third habit of abiding is resting. Like, like actually taking a day of Sabbath, of, of meaning I'm going to, drop everything and rest. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, uh, Pastor Victor, I, that's so nice, but like, I can't. I've got school and I've got work and I've got assignments. And I've... I'm just gonna say this, it's, it's in the Bible. It's one of the 10 commandments. It's actually above like stealing and murdering and like committing adultery. It's like, take a Sabbath, honor the Sabbath. But here's the thing, it's not a rule for us to freak out about. It's not, it's not this rule that God is trying to put down on us. It's actually God saying, hey, I'm trying to show you what real life looks like. And just real practically, friends, if you're tired, maybe what God is asking you to do is learning how to rest. Like how to actually take a day. Now, I'm not suggesting, don't tell your parents, Pastor Victor said, oh, I'm just gonna take a Sabbath, so I'm just not gonna do my homework. Sorry. <laughs> 
Or don't be like, oh, I'm just not gonna show up to the work shift I was scheduled for because Sabbath. No, 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 I'm asking you to say, I'm gonna look ahead and be like, you know what, there's this day, or maybe it's right now a whole day isn't feasible, but maybe it's an afternoon, uh, like a Sunday afternoon, be like, you know what, that block of time, I refuse to do anything productive. <laughs> I'm going to, Sydney just went, <clears throat> do it, it's awesome. I'm telling you, it's life-changing. And I know it doesn't feel feasible, but if God asked his people to do it, and he said, if you love me, you'll obey my instructions, then maybe the most spiritual thing you and I can do is just obey and rest. Maybe we don't need another spiritual revelation. Maybe we just need to take a few hours and get away. <laughs> but these are the three habits that I wanna invite us into. And if you have any questions about how to do those things or what it looks like, I'm gonna bring our leaders forward here in the end in just a second and ask them, ask me. I'd love to talk to, if it's 30 of you tonight, I'm down. If it's one person, I'm down to talk to you tonight. But how to actually like implement these things. But here's the summary of it all. God has been faithful to us. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, then what that means for you is that Jesus has brought you out of slavery and he's showing you now how to live the life of freedom. And friends, the life of freedom is the life of dependence on the God who is faithful to sustain you. The wilderness is not an indication that God has left you. The wilderness is an invitation for you to depend on him. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to spread out over this room. We've intentionally kept it quiet here tonight. Music's not gonna be blasting. The lights aren't going all over the place. I want us to create a moment of quiet and stillness. You can stay in your seats if you want. You can spread out. But I just want you to be in a place where it's, it's just you and the Lord for a second. For those of you who are in a wilderness season right now, the way out of the wilderness is not working super hard at things. In fact, I would even say that the goal of the wilderness is not for you to get out of the wilderness. The goal of the wilderness is for you to be fully locked in with what God is trying to do in you. God is trying to extract the life of slavery out of you and show you what a life of freedom looks like. And the life of freedom is the life of dependence. So I don't want anyone looking up here at me. I want you to get into a place where you can receive these words from a God who sustains. If you're tired, if you're weak, if you feel like you're being tested right now, if you feel like life is crumbling in on you, hear the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
Could it be that the wilderness is a season of pruning for you? Could it be? Verse three, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Stay locked in on these words. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Last verse right here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What I want you to do now for the next two minutes is if you're in that wilderness right now, I want you just to be honest with God. Let it out. Unload with God. Let him know where you're at. He already knows, but he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your concerns. He wants you to cast your cares on him. So go ahead, be honest with God. as you find yourself pouring this out you can keep going if you need to but once you've done that I'm going to invite you we're going to sing a song together it's going to stay real low real intimate and I want this to be more than just words that we sing but I think for a lot of us tonight who are in the wilderness this is an anthem and it's going to be a cry of dependence and a cry of trust to our Father. So let's not hold back. Let's worship.